We're going to continue in our series on identity, Identity 2.0. We have two more in this series before we launch into our Christmas series. And today I want to talk about what it means to be a kingdom connector. A kingdom connector. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. And we're going to look uh, through verse 51. And we're going to divide it up into three different sections. There's an outline for you in the bulletin if you want to take notes. And I don't know what I was thinking in the outline because it goes from point one to point two to point five. So there is no point three or point four. I guess it's just uh, keeping you engaged and awake. But I was asleep at the wheel or something. And that's, uh, that was my fault. John chapter one, beginning in verse 35. John writes, the following day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following and asked them, What do you want? They replied, replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about the four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying And they remained with him for the rest of the day. There's a lot going on in this passage. And as we talk about that theme of kingdom connection today, I want to begin by uh, suggesting to you that, first and foremost, kingdom connectors promote the kingdom of God. Kingdom connectors promote the kingdom of God. That might seem like a very self-evident, simple point, but... The fact is, so many people in this world are are self-promoting rather than kingdom-promoting. That's one of the things that we learned in the Identity Series, that um, most of people that we encounter in this life self-protect and self-promote. It's just instinctual. That's what you do before coming to Christ, because no one really is looking out for you. And the beauty of giving your life to God through Christ is that you truly have someone who's watching your back and has your best interest in mind. Um, And so you don't have to be in control anymore. You can release that and trust that a sovereign God is is protecting you and uh, advancing you when, when that's appropriate, and you don't have to do that yourself. But John the Baptist is such a great example of someone who was not self-promoting. It's interesting in John chapter 1, as you read, <clears throat> twice in, in those early verses, I think verse 31 and, and 33, uh, John says, I didn't recognize him, meaning Jesus. And you go, wait a minute, John and Jesus were cousins. When, when Mary found out from the angel Gabriel that she was going to be pregnant with the Christ child, with the Messiah, She went and stayed with her cousin Elizabeth and shared the news with her. And the text says that when Elizabeth heard the news that she was pregnant herself with John the Baptist, that John leapt within her womb. He was so excited because his whole ministry and mission here on earth was to be a forerunner, to herald the coming of the Messiah. And so how could it be that some 30 years have passed kind of silent years where we don't know, not a whole lot is recorded about what John the Baptist did or what Jesus did, but we know that Jesus began his public ministry somewhere around age 30, 
for the last three years before the cross. And John, we're left to believe, was out in the wilderness preaching the coming of the Messiah for 30 years. And such that John and Jesus really didn't interact much. John says in chapter 1 that John the Baptist was told by God that you're going to be baptizing people. And when you baptize someone upon whom the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, that's the guy. That's my man. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John, in his own words, says, you know, this is Jesus. He sees him one day walking by, and he says to his disciples, that's the guy that I've been talking about. That's the one that I've been preparing you to follow. And such a seamless handoff takes place that we, I think we, we, we gloss over and underestimate kind of the drama of that. Because so many leaders in this life are, are not kingdom promoters, they're, they're self-promoters. And they use their position as a platform to draw attention to themselves and to, for personal benefit. I've been guilty of that at times in my life. I mean, it's, it's part of our humanity. But John was such a selfless, kingdom-promoting person. I mean, how many times when the, when the scribes and the Pharisees come to John the Baptist in chapter 1 and they say, Are you the Christ? He says, No, I'm not the Christ. Well, then are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Well, are you a prophet? No, I'm not a prophet. Well, then who are you? And he says, I am just the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Many times he said, you know, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the Messiah. He's of a whole higher rank than I am because he existed before me. And John's continual message was, I must decrease and he must increase. That's a leader. That's a leader. But I have to believe that after 30 years of having disciples and bringing them and teaching them and equipping them, that's a hard thing relationally to just say goodbye. You know, I've served my purpose. He's the one. Follow him. And yet John does that so gracefully and so sweetly because he was all about the team. He was all about the kingdom of God, not about himself. And I believe that kingdom connectors point people to the kingdom and not to themselves. So often we are threatened by the gifts and the abilities of other people. And it's really difficult to be a kingdom connector if, if that's where we're at. If we're thinking about how do I compare against them rather than thinking, how do all of us work together for the glory of God and for promoting God first and foremost? Telling first service, the person in my life, uh, more than anybody else who modeled this for me, was my father-in-law. I wasn't emotional at first service, but I'm sorry. I'm emotional now because my wife's here. But John modeled for me, more than anybody else, what it meant to connect people together for... Um, for the kingdom of God and for the purposes of God. We talk about networking on a, on a worldly human level, and networking really is just kind of schmoozing with other people and getting to know people to help our career and to help our own pursuits. But kingdom connection is, is, is really 
knowing people that are doing kingdom work and ministry, that aligning with them and getting to know them and working together as a team for the glory of God is a beautiful thing. And my father-in-law was always doing that, not just on a local level, not just on a national level, but on an international level. Um, And it wasn't about name dropping. It was like he was established. He was connected. And he wasn't bragging about that, but that was just who he was. And his gift and his passion was connecting other people. Hey, John Ortberg is in town. He's a pastor of a small church in Simi Valley. Before he ever went to Willow Creek, before he ever went to Menlo Park Press, before he ever wrote books, and, you know, he, let's talk to him. Maybe you could be his youth pastor as you come out of seminary. And you got to meet Larry DeWitt. You know, we invited him to Calvary Church when we were five small families meeting in a restaurant. And now Calvary Church of Westlake is four or 5,000 people. And you, you, you need to go and meet Keith Phillips down at World Impact in L.A. And on and on and on. And it was about connecting me with other people for the, for the kingdom and about doing that with other people as well. A powerful thing. And it showed me the beauty and the value of what it means to promote the kingdom and to align ourselves with other people who are doing the same thing. And in our passage, Andrew is that disciple. Andrew is the one who, when he comes to Jesus and meets Jesus, thinks right away, I need to go get my brother Simon. The Greek is emphatic. It says, Andrew first went and found his own brother. That was his priority. Like, I've met Jesus. Who do I want to share Jesus with? My brother. I've got to go get my brother. Andrew was the one, as you remember, in the feeding of the 5,000, who knew of the little boy with the fish and the loaves. Like, I get this picture. Remember the scene of the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus is taught all day long out in the boonies. There's no resources around. There's thousands of people there. It says 5,000 men, not counting the women, child, women and children. So probably twenty to 30,000 people. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, send these people off. It's late. We're tired. We're hungry. They need something to eat. We can't take care of them. And Jesus is the one who, as we said last week, says, you feed them. And I get this feeling like the disciples are just sitting around like, when are these people going to go? When is Jesus going to stop talking? It's kind of like when you're a kid waiting for your parents to leave from church. You know, you're like ready for lunch. You're ready for the beach. You're ready for your day to get on after the church part. And all the disciples are pretty much doing that. And I picture Andrew out in the crowd. And Andrew's meeting people. Hey, what's your, what do you do? And he's finding out everybody's story such that when Jesus presents this need and throws it on them, Andrew has the answer. There's a little kid with loaves and fish. Most men weren't associating with little kids because they couldn't advance them socially, career-wise. I mean, they were kind of a lower rung of society, especially back then. But Andrew's the kind of connector that's meeting everybody, talking to everybody, and so he knows because that's who he is. Well, secondly, I want us to look at verses 40 to 42 to find out the second part of what it means to be a kingdom connector. Verse 40 says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John the Baptist said and then followed Jesus. We believe that the other one was was John, the author of the gospel, who doesn't ever refer to himself in the gospel of John. He's just anonymous. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. 
Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And Peter means little rock. The second point that I see in this is that kingdom connectors bring people to Jesus. Number one, kingdom connectors promote the kingdom and not themselves. Secondly, kingdom connectors bring people to Jesus. And I would suggest from this text that sometimes bringing people to Jesus involves a strategic person. You may not feel qualified in your knowledge of the Bible, your ability to talk theology or debate theology or to make sense of the world and evil and suffering, but I bet you know somebody who does. I bet you there are people in your life that you respect that you could point other people to and they could talk to them and they could find some answers or they could work through some of the things that they're dealing with. But before we ever lead people to Jesus, it's essential that we be burdened for people. I think that's where it starts. We have to be burdened by the eternal destiny of other people, of our neighbors, our co-workers, just people that we interact with in life. It's not just about whether we know the Lord or if our family members know. Hopefully we have that burden for others to know Christ as well. That's what's necessary in order to bring people to Christ. I was saying to the first service that as long as we are still here on this earth, I believe there are two goals and objectives and purposes that without a doubt you can be sure that God has for you. The first is to bring Him glory. Because that's the number one reason why we were created, to bring glory to God. And the second is to bring people to Him. Apart from anything else that God wants to do in your life in ways that He wants to use you, the two chief goals and purposes and objectives is to bring God glory and to bring others to Him. I mean, you can die on those. Those are the two reasons why God put us here. And I was saying in the first service that one of the best examples that I can think of, at least in recent memory, of someone who constantly brought people to Jesus was Sean Collins. Many of you remember Sean and Andrea Collins that used to attend our church. And some of you are disappointed I didn't mention your name. And I was saying to the first service that the beauty of this is that Sean's not here. So Sean's not getting a big head right now. But Sean is not a pastor by vocation. Sean does not hold a Bible or a seminary degree. But Sean has a passion for inviting people to Jesus. And every single week, he was introducing me to somebody new that he brought. Many of them were plumbers, because at the time, Sean was a plumber. But a lot of them weren't plumbers, and they were very rough individuals who had had really hard lives. They weren't your typical church people. And he would invite them, and I would meet them and get to know their story, and inevitably, they would come to faith in Christ. Because that was Sean's passion, to bring other people to Jesus. And I believe that's what God desires for us, to be kingdom connectors. Having gone through the identity series, we hopefully understand now the significance of a name change. We talked throughout the identity series about what's your kingdom identity? What are the gifts and the abilities that God has given to you for the specific purposes that he wants to use you? And, and what's, what is that? You know, are you shepherd? Are you this? Are you that? Because... Your identity, first and foremost, is not Christian. It's more specific than that. 
It's not your vocation, because your vocation is just what you do, which is an extension of who you are. It's not, you're not just wrapped up in what you do. And so, as we talked about this, we, we talked about the fact that this name change for Peter is a significant thing. Verse 41 tells us that first Andrew, when he comes to Christ, thinks, I gotta go get my brother. And then it, it looks like one of the very first things that Jesus does is he renames Cephas Peter. And we just kind of take that for granted. Can you imagine if you brought somebody to church and I was meeting them and I said, hey, Scott, yeah, you're going to be Scooter from now on, you know. You know, or you're Bill, okay, from now on you're going to be a wingman, you know. And can you, I think one of the, the biggest unexplained, unpreached evidences and arguments for the authority of Jesus in all the Bible is the fact that he renamed people. I mean, seriously, who else would have allowed someone to rename them? Even a rabbi. I mean, like, who are you that you're renaming me? Because in the first century, that was your destiny. That was your heritage. That was your mission. That was your purpose. It was all wrapped up in your name. And your parents chose that out carefully. People didn't go around renaming people. That was crazy talk. But that was the authority of Jesus. From now on, but from this point forward, you're going to be Peter. You're going to be a rock. You know, and upon your profession of faith, that's the rock that I'm going to build my church upon. That's, that's your life's purpose. That's how I want to use you. Powerful stuff. Well, the third point, and the final point, there is no point five, is found in verses 43 to 51. John writes, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida in Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Like even back then there was small town rivalry going on. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth, that you will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. If you haven't been with us long, a thing you need to know about this passage is that in, in biblical times, the Jews loved to pray under shade trees. And, and a fig tree was very often their prayer tree because it provided great shade. And they would pray about God's kingdom. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they would pray about their longing and expectation for the Messiah that God would send his anointed one who would deliver their people from the oppression and from the foreign rulers, and that God would set up his kingdom. And undoubtedly, these are the types of things that Nathaniel was praying. And so when Jesus comes and says, I saw you under the fig tree, it's as if 
the lights click on and Nathaniel's like, you're the one I've been praying about. You're the Messiah. You're God's anointed. You're the one that God has sent. And that's why his reaction is so over the top. We read that today and we think, what's the deal with a fig tree? And so what? He saw you. But, you know, how does that mean he's the king of Israel and, you know, the son of God? Well, that's because it's like Nathaniel saying, you're the answer to my prayers. You're the one that has been promised in Scripture, the one we've been looking to. I would say from this passage, the third point is that kingdom connectors not only promote the kingdom rather than self, they not only bring people to Jesus, but they extend invitations to come and see. Simple invitations to come and see. Not to come and hear a lecture, not to come and argue, not to come and debate, but simply to come and to see. To check it out for yourself. To form your own opinion. Philip's invitation to Nathaniel to come and see echoes Jesus' invitation to the disciples in verse 39. When they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus simply says, come and see. Come and see is an invitation to experience something firsthand rather than just to be told about something. That's huge. Big difference. One of the common sees that we do as a church is mission trips. You can talk about going to another culture and presenting the gospel and meeting people's needs in Jesus' name, and we can talk about that all day long, but until you go on a mission trip and see firsthand, that's a come-and-see experience. Hospital visitation, that's a come-and-see experience. As we get outside the walls of this church and we visit the sick, we visit those who were imprisoned, we visit those who were in shelters. And we give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, or we clothe somebody, or we give them food. In school, growing up, it was field trips. You love to get out of the classroom and go and visit somewhere and be part of something because it was experiential learning. And that's exactly what a come and see experience is. I believe that any time the Word of God becomes flesh, and lives among us, it's a come-and-see experience. Anytime we go to where people are at, in the name of Jesus, there's a potential of a come-and-see experience. And because of this, I believe that our, our invitations need to be more than just verbal exchanges, more than just a lot of talk. Our invitations need to challenge people and to call them out of where they presently are into something new and into something different, because that is precisely what the Christian life is like. As Dino was saying, it's not just about, you know, oh, my life's going pretty good, and I'll just add Jesus to the mix, and things are a little bit better. The Christian life is about, my life is is out of control right now, and I'm facing anxiety, or I'm facing stuff that I can't handle, and I desperately need God. I need something different. I need something new. I need salvation above and beyond anything else that I need. That's how we begin a relationship with God through Christ. (coughs) One of the things that I appreciated about Jamie Winship in this identity series that we went through is that he got a lot of critics over the years that would come and hear him talk and say things of the nature of, you know, anyone could just tell a lot of stories. You know, and people love stories and they're impressed by that. But how do I know that you're the real deal? 
And I love Jamie telling the story of that. His reply was simply, come and see. And how he would invite people to come and join him on mission. And this one time, there was a high-ranking military guy that came and said that very thing. And Jamie said, come join me. And they went off in the Middle East together, and Jamie told the story about how they were held up at gunpoint and they were going to be executed. And God worked miraculously, and they ended up saving all the leaders and sparing their lives. But it, it starts with a come and see, rather than let me convince you theologically. Let me argue with you. Let me lecture you. And after a few hours have passed, you'll be so numb from listening that then we'll talk about the gospel. No, come and see. Come and experience it. Firsthand, I want to draw some application as we close this. The first question is, what's your kingdom identity? As we've gone through this series, have you wrestled with what your kingdom identity is beyond Christian, beyond what you do for a living? What gifts and abilities has God given to you, and how does he want to use those for his kingdom purposes? And how does that relate to your mission in life, the reason why you're here? Week number one was, how does our kingdom identity relate to this idea of being an ambassador? Ren talked about that. As we're calling people back into relationship with God, how is God using your identity to shape that and to form that? Week two was about intercessory prayer. How is God using you as an intercessor, praying on behalf of others, not just self, for his kingdom? Last week was about advocacy. How does God want to use us as powerful advocates of justice in an unjust and evil world? How does he want to use us for his kingdom? And today is about connections. How does God want us to connect us together in relationship so that as a team, as, as a family, we can work together for his kingdom and his glory? Next week is our final week, and we're going to talk about what it means to be a discipler which is a made-up word, but it's basically one who makes disciples. And, and not a disciple, not just one who follows Jesus, but one who goes out and makes disciples in turn. So it's disciples who make disciples. That's how this thing keeps on going. And we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 next week. Let's pray.